Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, April the 29th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMariahOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and over at our friends, The Grueling Truth, which is part of the iHeart Media Network. And uh, I think now here on um, Blog Talk Radio, there's some kind of announcement. I think you could even get this on Alexa, this uh, this show. So to find out more about that, I got a little email about that. But um, regardless, if you got an Alexa and you really want to listen to this on that, I'm, I'm sure you uh, you could figure it out. Hope everybody's doing well. Actually, a little uh, double barrel action to take a bullpen term out there today. You're getting this podcast uh, from the Sunday afternoon, just before the Mets take on the Padres in. The finale of their road trip, their finale of their uh, three-game series out in San Diego. Not a banner road trip for the Mets. We had talked about a week ago about a test, kind of a first real tough test. And there's, there's been some real brutal losses between the Atlanta loss, uh, the loss on the rubber game in St. Louis uh, with some bad fielding. Um, you know, the loss still from a couple of weeks ago when they blew the 6-1 lead to the Nationals back at City Field. So they've had three really tough losses in the last 10 days or so, probably three losses that will go down regardless of where this season goes as three of the worst, maybe not the three worst. Hopefully there's not too many worse, but when you get bad losses or tough losses, these will be up there. Maybe these will be the three that stick out, and that'd be good. That means that there's not a heck of a lot of other bad losses. But uh, you know, my commentary on, on the Mets will be more reserved for later tonight because I'll be co-hosting for the next two weeks on uh, 540 AM WLIE with Rich Catino, our friend Rich Catino, who also works over at 9870 ESPN, author, uh, also author of a book called The Press Box Revolution, coming out with a book about the 1969 Mets that's supposed to uh, publish next year. So Rich and I will we'll be doing all New York sports. That's a New York sports wrap. But I'm sure we'll get into the Mets uh, real quick uh, today on this podcast. Uh, and I'm not going to go on long here in the intro. I have a pretty cool feature, I think, for you guys. Eric Sherman, author of a new book, uh, Davy Johnson, My Wild Ride in Baseball and My Wild Ride in Baseball and Beyond, will be joining me in just a few minutes. Eric has written uh, a ton of baseball books, Kings of Queens, which is about the '86 Mets, uh, Steve Blass book. Uh, he wrote, co-wrote the Mookie Wilson book. So uh, Eric is very versed on uh, book writing, baseball book writing, and diving into a topic, Davey Johnson, who it's been a long time since Davey was the Mets manager, and he had a, quite a few stops afterwards. And I think Davey's story with uh, the Mets and then after is pretty, uh, pretty fascinating. I always say that um, – my experience with Davey Johnson, and I'll share this with Eric, was when I had a chance to talk to him during the 2010 Mets Hall of Fame uh, uh, ceremony. There was Frank Cashin was there, Davey was there, Dwight Gooden and Dal Strawberry. That was uh, the second year of City Field, and Mets were trying to, you know, make Hall of Fame inductions, and and those four were there. And I had a great conversation with the late Frank Cashin and Davey, and I always remember Davey because at that time there was a lot of talk. We're talking about I don't want to say early sabermetric movement, but that was the beginning of the end of the Omar Manaya era, and, and, and sabermetrics was a big topic because the Mets weren't a really deep sabermetric team. And we, we chatted about pitch counts and pushing pitchers. 
And I said to Davey, I said, if you look at Doc Gooden's numbers early in his career, the amount of innings, the amount of bullets, for lack of a better word, that he used, 84, 85, leading into 86, yeah, I understand the drug use. Yes, I understand things happen. But Doc had shoulder problems. That was one of the reasons why he was out a good chunk of the 1989 season. Did that contribute to it? And Davey got very feisty, very angry with me. He's like, no, I had him on 125, 130 pitch count. We were aware of his of his usage. It wasn't just willy-nilly, so to speak. He said that Tommy Lasorda got mad at Davey because he had Doc on 12530 pitch count, and Valenzuela found out about it, Fernando Valenzuela, and, and Lasorda would put him up at 150, 160 pitches. Think about this. And I guess Lasorda looked at Tommy and said, look, you know, I, I, this is how I remember this story. Look, I... Um, you know, what about me? Why am I going 20, 25 you know, pitches more? Why are you not treating me this way? And, and Lasorda didn't believe in that. And, and, and Valenzuela had arm issues. And he, um, what was it, the screwball he was throwing? So, um, you know, it was interesting, the fire in Davey's belly uh, at that point. And you could tell he still had it. And then uh, less than a year later, he was taking over as manager of the Washington Nationals and led them to a playoff and division, uh, division title playoff berth. And, uh, and subsequently, uh, a tough five-game series loss, a tough loss they had to the Cardinals there in uh, in 2012. So we'll talk to Eric Sherman. We'll chat more about uh, Davey Johnson uh, after the break. And then as far as this Cart Mets team, you know, and, and again, I'll get into it. And I'll as we wrap up later, I'll give you all the details about WLIE. They're not a 12 and two team. They're not the four and seven team that's played bad defense and really struggling offensively. They certainly fall in between. They're 16 and nine. I stick to what I said. I still think this is a team that is a 90-win team. Uh, whether that's enough to win the division, I'm not sure. The Nationals are not off to a, uh, a rocket and rolling start. Let's see how real and how ready the Phillies and the Braves are. Baseball's a long season. We're not even at May 1st. And, you know, to be 25 games in, it's still very much, like I said, you could go 50, 60, 70, 80 games before you really get a feel in the era of the second wild card of a team. But we'll get more into that on the WLIE broadcast later. Right now, let's take a quick break. When I return, uh, Eric Sherman. You can check out Eric on Twitter, at ShermBaseball, and uh, you can also get him on his uh, website, uh, EricShermanBaseball.com. So we'll take a quick break. When we return, Eric Sherman, author of the book, Davey Johnson, My Wild Ride in Baseball and Beyond. And he'll join us right after this. Even Davey Johnson, manager of the Mets, has days when his pitcher and his stomach block. Can't believe he walks a leadoff batter. Which is why Davey keeps Rolaids nearby. Rolaids antacid is serious medicine that consumes all the acid required to bring millions 100% relief. Hope he doesn't play the fastball. And on days filled with errors and frankfurters, Rolaids relief is what's needed most. I should have gone into golf. Get serious relief. Get Rolaids. We're back, and joining me is author of the new book, Davey Johnson, My Wild Ride in Baseball and Beyond, Eric Sherman. You can check out Eric on uh, Twitter, at Sherm Baseball, uh, and you guys probably know him. You probably have read his books on Mookie Wilson and uh, Glenn Burke. I think he did a book on Steve Blass, so he's, he knows a little thing about baseball. Eric, welcome to the program. How you doing here on this uh, weekend morning? How's everything? Well, Mike, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, crazy busy with uh, several book projects. Um, you know, the one right now with D- Davy Johnson, uh, which is going terrifically well. Um, but I, but but I must say, before we 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 start, I was just taken back in time with that intro, uh, with the organ music at Shea Stadium. I mean, it took me back to 1973 or 74 when when I'd go to games and and just before the Mets took the field. That was the organ music that you used to hear. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. I'm glad you said that because a few other um, guests that Matt Cerrone on recently said the same thing, so I appreciate that. Well, your book is taking people back to a fun time in um, in Mets baseball, the 80s, with Davey Johnson. But um, Davey's an interesting character, Eric. And when I saw the book coming out, I think uh, you know I saw it on Amazon that it was a, a May launch you know, six, seven months ago, something like that. I've had a chance to meet Davey once uh, in a journalistic setting. It was when he was being inducted into the Mets Hall of Fame 
And I had a chance to interact with him. Uh, I think that's 2010. Frank Cashin was there. Doc and Daryl were there. And I remember we were just talking, and you could still see the fire in Davey at that point. Now, that's before he, he, he took over the Nationals. And uh, I, it was funny. I questioned him. I said, you know, D- Davey, I just said, I'm curious. You know, forget the drugs and everything with Doc. Do you ever think that, because at that time, pitch counts and everything were becoming a big deal, back at Doc's usage early in his career. I go, he had some heavy usage. Do you think that had something to do with it? Oh, boy, he snapped back at me. He had all the reasons, the data, all the, all the stuff that went on. Uh, he talked about how uh, Lasorda was mad at him because Doc told uh, Lasorda, uh, Venezuela about how many pitches he did. And I said to myself, the guy still got fired. Sure enough, he uh, starts managing again about a year later. So I'm sure you got that experience when uh, you had a chance to interact with Davey for this project. I did. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, he still has the fire um, today, for sure. Um, and he still has very, very strong opinions and convictions uh, about the way that he managed. Yeah, what, what you refer to, uh, I think he told reporters uh, uh, that when someone had a high pitch count, he was being lasorted uh, because uh, Tom, Tom, Tommy Lasorda used to have uh, Fernando Valenzuela throw, um, you know, 150, 160 pitches. And, and so, so he would use the term uh, lasorted. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, he still, he still has the fire. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, uh, I mean, he, he doesn't believe that he burned uh, Doc out. And in fact, um, I, you know, I think if you go back to the early, early 80s, uh, all clubs really use their pitchers a lot differently than today. And, and they conditioned him. And, and Davey told, told me that, um, you know, it's fine uh, to, to disagree with him, but he'll give you 10 reasons every single time uh, for why he did what he did. Um, another uh, funny Davey quote, he's really a very entertaining guy. He, he, he said, um, uh, you know, I, I loved it when my coaches disagreed with me. Um, you, you know, um, I, I would have preferred that, um, wait, wait, I got that wrong. Um, you know, my coaches didn't always agree with me and that was fine. But um, if they did agree with me, then I think they were a smart son of a gun. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't he wasn't short on confidence. But before we get to the managerial ride, which um, I'm sure you know, it sounds like you you know, looking at some of my notes here, you found out some really interesting things. But you know, there's Davy Johnson, the ball player, and I don't know if everybody really talks about Davy Johnson, the ball player. We all know he made the last out in the '69 World Series. Really solid second baseman, uh, played in Japan, had a big year with the Atlanta Braves in the 70s. And, um, you know, as a player in, in, with those Orioles teams, is that how he became, I guess, formed as a manager? Uh, what does he remember most? What are some of the things that came out uh, for David Johnson, the player for the Orioles and the Braves and so on? Well, um, clear, clearly, Earl Weaver had a tremendous influence on, on him. Um, you know, they, Earl, Earl came up, uh, to manage in 68 and Davey's first year was 66. And so Davey was just kind of coming into his own at that point as a star second baseman. And, uh, Earl actually managed him in the minor leagues as well. So, um, that was probably his biggest managerial influence early on. However, Davey had his own convictions even back then. Um, I mean, he was really the first one to bring sabermetrics into baseball, and he used a computer, an old IBM computer, um, and, and he put every single type of game scenario into that computer uh, with the Orioles line, lineup uh, for the 1968 season to prove a point to Earl that he should be batting second instead of uh, sixth or seventh. And um, Earl tossed that data into the trash, but um, he was, I would say, part his own man and part um, what he took in from Earl Weaver, who who he sat next to on the bench uh, pretty much every game and picked his brain on things. uh, uh, But but just one quick, quick story. In 1966, when Frank Robinson was his teammate and Frank won the Triple Crown that year, uh, Frank was slumping 
at one point in the season. And Davey was just a rookie, and he picked up something during batting practice that Frank was doing a little bit wrong. And he pointed it out to Frank, and Frank went on like a 12-for-19 tear uh, on his way to the Triple Crown. Um, I, I mean, that's unheard of, especially then for a rookie to go up to a superstar like that and actually give him some advice. Uh, and, and he did. And, uh, uh, but that was the type of guy that Davey was even back in his early twenties. He, uh, he was actually, you know, I'm looking at his numbers here on baseball reference. You talk about sabermetrics. He was an on-base guy at his peak. He's a guy who's going to get on base about 35% of the time. He had power. He was uh, a gold glove second baseman. I didn't see enough of him to play to know, you know, defensive runs saved and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, a neat little player, I think sometimes gets underrated. And then you have, and, and I'm sure he talked about it because it's been, it's always a, a, a conversation and trivia and whatnot. He has that 43 home run season with the Braves in 1973, a second baseman record. And if it was today, Eric, or maybe not today, but prior to testing, we probably would all have these steroid ac- accusations. He goes from 18 home runs as a high, five home runs, and then all of a sudden 43. Never had that many before in his life. Out of his 136 homers in his career, 43 happened in one season. Uh, what did he talk about that? Because that's uh, you know that's some jump, that's some season playing for the Braves in 1973. Yeah, I mean, if that were today, <laughs> I think people would have just would just assume that that he was on PEDs, right? Uh, that that's significant of a jump. Well, what actually happened was, you know, there 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 weren't PEDs in the game, game then, so that's not what it was. Uh, what it was, the Orioles hammered into him. It really was Daryl Johnson who um, uh, went on to manage the Red Sox to the pennant in 1975. Well, he was working with the Orioles then, and he would hammer into the Orioles hitters to hit the Orioles way, which was a lot, of, you know, the way that Brooks Robinson used to hit. So it's kind of like an inside-out swing, drive the ball hard the other way. Um, I, you know, I guess one you'd remember is when Brooks Robinson hit that the right field in the 69 series that runs for Bodicott. I mean, it was kind of to hit like that. And when Davey got out of there, um, he went to Atlanta and he started pulling the ball. And, you know, he started playing with guys like Hank Aaron and, and so forth. And, uh, and he also um, was playing hurt for several years uh, after a collision at home plate, actually two collisions at home, home plate, during, I want to say, the 71 season. And uh, the Orioles couldn't really diagnose what the problem was in his shoulder. Um, and the Braves uh, medical staff were able to figure it out. And, um, and, and they basically cured him of that injury that he had had. And uh, so it, it was those two factors, um, going back to pulling the ball and getting healthy again in his shoulder that really helped him. Eric Sherman is uh, with me, uh, author of the book, uh, Davy Johnson, My Wild Ride in Baseball and Beyond. You get it now. I'm, I'm over on Amazon. You get it in hardcover. You get it in Kindle. And I'm sure if you're a Mets fan, I think Davy's the one part of that 80s run that I think sometimes we overlook a little bit. You talk about Doc and Daryl and the players in Game 6 and, and what happened after. I think Davy sometimes gets overlooked. So, you know, Davey goes to Japan, he ends up his career, and, and then he becomes a manager. Did he talk about that transition from player to manager and getting involved with the Mets and he was managing in their minor league system? Uh, it's, it's 1978 is his last year, and by 84, he's a big league manager. Not unheard of, but uh, that's pretty quick back in those days. You had to really put your time in. You had to pay your dues back then. It wasn't like today where you jump from player to front office to the dugout. They weren't as progressive back then. No, it, I mean, it was a different world. He went to manage this team uh, called the Miami Amigos. Uh, it was this, um, this uh, it was a professional team. Uh, I don't think they were affiliated with any ball club, but, but, but that's where, he's, where he cut his teeth in managing, and he had a winning percentage of like 800. Uh, he did extremely well, and then the league folded. Um, and... Um, and then he um, went into the Mets organization and worked his way up and uh, really got to know the minor league system 
and what the Mets had very, very well. Um, you know, and he was managing Doc when he was just a kid, you know, like 17 years old. Uh, you know, he managed Daryl Strawberry, of course. And, uh, I mean, Davey really knew what the heck the Mets had in that minor league system. Uh, Lenny Dykstra was another one, and Wally Backman, who wasn't the most talented second baseman, but he just loved the way that he played. So, really, he knew what they had. And so by the time he came up to manage in 84, he was the perfect pilot for that ball club. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he brought up Dwight Gooden a year before Frank, Frank Cashin wanted him up. And, you know, his relationship with Frank is a whole other thing, which he really gets into in the book. I mean, Mets fans will devour that. Um, that very odd relationship he had with Frank. Let's just say that for now. That's that's true. With me, Eric Sherman, author of the book, uh, the new with David Johnson book out there. You probably have read his work, King of Queens, the Mookie Wilson book, a ton of others. So he, he's a he's a guy that you want to talk baseball with. Uh, it's what's interesting is that you know, and I go back to the old Pat Riley innocent climb and how teams are you know have that arc. It was perfect the way it happened with David. Like you said, he was in the minor league system. He gets a chance to see these guys. He gets to the big leagues. He changes the culture immediately. And you see the whole arc with this team all the way to 1990 uh, when things start to, uh, to, to taper off. And, um, you know, you mentioned Frank Cash, and the one criticism I remember back then of Davey, and maybe this was coming out or leaked through the media with the front office, was that he was known as a player's manager. And at some point they felt, I guess the media, or maybe even the fans felt that because – he was so laid back, the players uh, didn't push themselves after they had success after 1986. And that's how things kind of went awry. You have obviously the off-the-field stuff, but you know this is a team that started to you know, take time off during the season, feel that it was good enough to put it together whenever they wanted, which they were. Uh, and, and at times, some feel that that's where maybe they left, I guess, stuff on the table. Uh, did Davey talk about that, about this club, and, and Frank Cashin, because that's a separate conversation we'll have, about where he could have maybe been a little different with them, especially as they got new players like Greg Jeffries, and there was a transition after 87, 88, where they were, they were trying to put guys like Maggot in and Jeffries, and, and there was the Hernandez-Cotter guys that were uh, on the way out. Well, um, he let them be men. Um, you know, I mean, how can you possibly um... – you know, watch these guys after they leave the ballpark. You, know, you can't watch them 24 um, seven. I think as their manager though, uh, Davey did have regrets over what happened. Uh, I don't think he would have done a whole lot differently, but as their manager, he, uh, he, you know, he takes some, some of the blame for what happened with doc and Daryl. Now, um, as far as, uh, what he accomplished with the club, he averaged 96 wins a season uh, in his tenure with the Mets um, over seven, seven years. Um, and he'll be the first to tell you that it, after 96, they just weren't the same team. So, you know, you hear a lot how, um, you know, that, that, that eight, 80, did I say 96? I, I meant to say 86. 86. That yeah. after, yeah, that after 86, you know, they didn't win another World Series. Now, if it were today, they would have made the wild card with that club, a wild card or a division championship. They would have made the playoffs uh, five years in a row, I believe. Um, but after 86, they just weren't the same ball club. Um, he never wanted Cashin to trade Kevin Mitchell, who Cashin believed was a bad influence on Doc and Darrell, uh, which nothing could have been further from the truth. Um, Mitchell didn't, you know, drink, he didn't smoke. I mean, he, um, but because he came from, um, a difficult upbringing, a dangerous neighborhood, he, he felt that he was a bad influence on Doc and Daryl. Uh, but he also called, um, Davey called Kevin Mitchell the greatest pure hitter he's ever seen. So that changed the di dynamic a lot because Kevin Mitchell was the enforcer on that ball club. Uh, the 86 club had four bench-clearing brawls, and Mitch and Ray Knight, who they also didn't re-sign, 
the following year were the enforcers on that team. So they just didn't have that swagger after 86 that they had, that, that, that they had had. I mean, they didn't just beat up on teams. They intimidated them in 86 and they lost that intimidation factor all, all together. And uh, so the, so that, that's what Davey explains that, you know, they, they just weren't the same ball club. And then of course, later on, they lose Aguilera, they lose Dykstra, they lose McDowell. Um, and they get players in exchange that they really didn't need. Um, you know, like they would get uh, Frank Viola in 89 and they already had five starting pitchers. So he, there was a disconnect after 86 with, with Frank Cashin. Um, and that led to um, a lot of friction between the two. And I, I read also that uh, Davey defended his decision to leave Doc in that uh, that infamous game four in 1988. It was funny, the late Gary Carter and I were talking when he was managing the Ducks, and I said, Gary, you know, I, I know this is uh, ancient history, but what about that scenario? And he looked at me, smiled, he goes, I wasn't the manager. Because he was a the manager then, because I was trying to get him to, to see the parallels, and especially with bullpen management today, understanding 1988 was the beginning of that. But he still, he trusted his, it was interesting, it sounds like Davey trusted Doc. He trusted his players. Um, by that time, they had won a championship. Doc was the, you know, he was Dr. K. If you really go back and look at the stats, he really wasn't Dr. K anymore by that time. But back then, he was Dr. K. And uh, who would have thought Mike Social would have home run? But he, he defends that decision. Though. It sounds like throughout the conversations, Eric, he doesn't really go back and have a lot of regrets. He, he felt that the process was good at every juncture. And, and that specifically to me, uh, would be one I would think he would look back and go, yeah, I should have brought in my closer. You know, a guy that turned out to be a pretty good closer for other teams as well. Yeah, no way. Uh, in fact, he he thought they had everything set up perfectly. I think it was John Shelby that kept fouling balls off uh, prior to Socha. Um, and um, he thought that Doc had Shelby struck out. Um, I think it was Shelby. And um, and he ended up walking them, and, and, and that brought up Socha, who had all of, I think, four home runs that year, and yeah, he had an anemic batting average against Doc. And um, and Doc um, gave him a pitch to hit. And, yeah, I mean, the book I did with Mookie and, and you know, I, I did Queens with pretty much all the other regular players and, uh, and unique personalities from that 86 team they they all felt that Davey should have uh brought in Randy Myers um in that situation I mean My- Myers was having a terrific season you know and it would have been a lefty against a lefty and um but um Davey had so much faith in Doc Gooden you know he 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 had him as a set, set 17 year old in the minors and um he just had just tremendous respect for Doc's abilities and um, back in those days, you know, guys were finishing games more. Um, of course, in that po- postseason, Oral Hershiser, um, I think he pitched till his arm dropped off, you know. I mean, it was just a different time, and he had all the faith in the world and good. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it was interesting, too, uh, looking at 86. It was a little more personal for Davey beating John McNamara. I didn't realize that. It was, Yeah. I uh, went all the way back to the minor, minor leagues. And, and, you know, this this is like one of the stories in the book that I think may have surprised me the most. Um, so in the minor leagues, uh, McNamara was a catcher, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and I, I guess he called, called for a pitch and hits Davey right in the nose and breaks his nose. It was just awful. And um, so – Fast forward like 23 years or 24 years, whatever it was, when Mookie hits the ball that goes through Buckner's legs and, you know, Davey's running out on the field uh, as Ray Knight crosses home home plate. What do you think the first thing he thought of was? He thought about getting revenge. He had finally gotten revenge on John McNamara. I mean, I I couldn't believe that, you know, that after all those years – that's what he thinks of, you know, and, you know, instead of, well, um, okay. Um, you know, what an unbelievable comeback. I mean, maybe the greatest comeback in world series history and his first 
thought that popped into his head was that he had finally got gotten even with John McNamara. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's great. Eric Sherman, author of the new Davy Johnson book, My Wild Ride in Baseball and Beyond. Uh, you mentioned earlier Frank Cashin, and that to me is not a surprising thing that they didn't get along. But uh, that's really a theme of the Mets years. Uh, there's so much more to it. And we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, you know, to Davy, I should say, in his managerial career, and it, it is a bit of a trend where he he pretty much burns out his bridges. He's almost like Mike Keenan in a way after that with uh, the Rangers. He comes in, he has success, and he burns bridges with the front office. But uh, so Frank Cashin and Davey, you know, Frank gives uh, Davey the, the job. Uh, they win a championship together. Uh, it was not as peaches and cream as you would think with the success they had. And really, it, it sounds like it was a big part, not maybe as much as the players not performing or the issues off the field, but a very big part of why this team did not win more or fall apart maybe a little bit earlier than, you know, they really probably should have. Yeah, well, the surprising thing about uh, Frank and Davey was that they worked together, you, you could say, in Baltimore, um, starting in, I think, 1969. Um, fr- Frank was in the front office. Frank was a sports writer going way, way back. That's why he always wore bow ties, because those were the days when you, know, you didn't want to get um, newspaper print on your ties. So a lot of people in that industry wore bow ties, but they went back to the late 60s together with Baltimore in the Orioles' halcyon days. And, and now they're in New York together and Cashin hires Davey. So you would have thought that the two of them would have had you know, this terrific relationship and I think they may have, in the, I, I, I wouldn't call it terrific, but I think that they had a good relationship in the beginning. And certainly, uh, you know, they turned the club around in 84 from, you know, a club that, that only won 60 plus games to a team that won 90. And uh, it's probably the most fun year if you're a Mets fan. Um, then in 85, they had a terrific team that in most other years, they would have won the division. And then in 86, you know, they, 108 wins and a world championship. But yeah, they, um, after 86, Frank um, started making decisions really without Davey's blessing. And then he brought on um, Al Harrison and McIlvain. And and it was like, Davey calls it the triumvirate. Um, You know, I kind of think of it more as a three headed monster and, these guys were making making the shots. They were call, calling the shots um, on player per personnel, and um, it wasn't always like that. You know, build, go, going into the '86 season and building that team, uh, Davey felt that Wally Backman wasn't good from the right side of the plate, so he asked Frank to go get him Tim Tuffle, and he got him. Um, you know, he felt that. Um, that you know, Hojo wasn't as good from the right side as the left side, so he went out and got Ray Knight. Um, so they worked well together, I think, in the beginning, but after '86, for whatever reason, um, maybe it was en- uh, Frank's envy of Davy's success, uh, a little bit of jealousy there, which um, is very possible because you know, back in those days, general managers generally didn't get the publicity um, that the managers got. Now, of course, you know, with the Theo Epstein's of the world, uh, general managers have almost become the face of organizations. But it was very, very different then. And, um, you, you know, and moving a little further into his career, I'm sure he'll ask me about it, you know, with Peter Angelos and Marge Schott. Um, I mean, they, I think they were envious of the way that Davey turned clubs around uh, and felt maybe Davey was getting too much credit and there was some resentment there. Yeah. I mean, he gets fired in 1990, Buddy Harrelson takes over that team plays well after Davey left. Um, They probably would have gotten hot with Davey there though. If if things were as bad as they were with, uh, uh, with Frank Cashin, you know, you have to wonder that could be, you know, a bit of a distraction. You know, then he sits out a little bit, and you're right. You know, his next two stomps are with clubs. One, the Reds, that have had a very mercurial owner. I think that's a nice way of saying it. 
And then yeah. Peter Angelos, who could be to this day one of the most meddlesome, toxic uh, environments that he's created from people that have worked for him there. Uh, you know, whether it's in, you know, I don't know if it's ill intention. It just might be the way he is. Uh, and that should be a dream job. You know, here's the former Oriole coming on and taking over yep. the Orioles at a time where they were um, actually spending or actually spending dollar for dollar with the Yankees. Uh, you know, they almost beat, should have probably beaten the Yankees. They got some bad luck in 96. They had one of the best teams in baseball in 97. You know, benches Cal Ripken. I mean, think about that. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, but in both stops, it's very short-lived. Success, very short-lived with some odd scenarios there. Um, you know, what did he, what, what were his memories on that? What stands out there? Because that's a, almost a decade before he gets to the Dodgers where, you know, he probably should have lasted longer with either one of those clubs. Uh, but it was almost like he came, he saw, and he left before he even got a chance to, to really, uh, you know, get the seat warm, so to speak. Well, Marge Schott was the owner of the Reds at that time was, uh, I mean, she's, she was just crazy. Um, the Reds were going through a slump at one point, and um, and she took the hair from her deceased dog Shotzi One and started rubbing it on Davey for good luck before a game. I mean, there are all kinds of stories about Marge in this book, and um, you know, I know uh, like forty percent of the book deals with Davey's Mets years, but I, I would. I have to say that his days with the Orioles and the uh, Reds, I, I mean, those stories are, are, are just as interesting um, and peculiar in some ways. Um, Mar- Marge Schott, I think, I mean, there's so much I could say here. Um, she, she disapproved of, of, um, of Davey living with a woman uh, that he wasn't married to, uh, even though um and and David would go on to mar- marry her. Uh, he's still married to her today. Um, and uh, his current wife, Susan, had a special, a special needs uh, son who was deaf and blind. And yet um, she was playing all high and mighty over him. And um, <clears throat> so it seemed like no matter what Davy did <clears throat> with the Reds at that time, how much success he had, um, his days were numbered and, and um, she made Ray Knight a co-manager. And, and so no, almost no matter what Davey did, and he accomplished a lot in a very short period of time with the Reds, um, Ray Knight was going to take over for him. And once Ray Knight did, uh, the Reds kind of went back down into the doldrums again. So he goes uh, to Baltimore, his dream job. You're right. He used to play for the Orioles. He won four pennants with them. I mean, he was a local hero. He goes back, and um, and he has a, a tremendous degree of success in a very short period of time. He really turned that ball club around. You know, you could say the Orioles were just as talented as the Yankees at that point. And um, uh, you know, uh, he uh, you know, I guess the downfall began when he find uh, Roberto Alomar. And, um, and he, um, and he recommended that, you know, the money go to his wife's charity. His, his, his wife had raised, um, tens of thousands of dollars for Baltimore area charities. And I, you know, I've, I, I know her very, very well. She's a terrific individual. I mean, just a great, great person. And, um, so once, uh, Angelo's brought Davy's wife into it, he's like, I'm out of here. And the irony is that on the day that Davy was named manager of the year in uh, 97, um, he resigned from his job. Uh, and, um, you know, he basically said, thank you for the manager of the year award. I quit. And that's the name of that ch- chapter. But uh, it's, um, yeah. And Angelo's, uh, he, he still to this day, uh, I think um, is pretty hot about him. And does he look at the Dodgers as maybe a mistake where it's an iconic franchise? Fox, the corporate guys just took it over. They had traded Piazza. They had some talent. It was a weird transitional time for the Dodgers there because of the, the Fox situation. 
And again, short situation, uh, one bad year, one good year. Uh, what is he, you know, before you, because the Nationals thing is the one that really fascinates me uh, because of the, the, how long the layoff was. But you'd be remiss if you just glazed over the Dodgers. But I think a lot of people do. They forget Davey managed the Dodgers for a couple of years. It's interesting. I just did an interview yesterday, and the interviewer asked me the same thing, or, or made the statement, the same, the same statement, that people often forget that Davey was the manager of the Dodgers. It's, it, it's almost like people forget that Babe Ruth was involved with the Dodgers as well. You know, when, when you think of these guys, you just don't think of them as Dodgers. Um, but Davey grew up a Dodgers fan. So again, like this was another example of a stop that he had hoped would be his last stop, you know, and going back to the Reds, his, his current wife is from Cincinnati. So that was a job that he wanted, you know, to stay at too. Um, so yeah, the Dodgers, it was a somewhat of a toxic situation. Um, it, you know, he, he didn't work well with Kevin Malone. Um, and, um, they were making moves that, um, that, you know, he didn't really give his blessing to either. And, and he, you know, the Dodgers really, really didn't have much of a farm system. Um, so um, he improved the club, but not to the same level that he had improved uh, the Mets, the Reds, and the Orioles. Um, but, yeah, that was a strange stop. But, you know, by the end of the two years, I don't think his heart was really in it. Um, he had a very sick daughter um, that he wanted ultimately to get back to Florida um, to be with. Um, and, um, you know, his daughter ultimately would succumb um, to, um, to, um, to schizophrenia. Um, she died of toxic shock. Um, so um, it, that's a very sad story. Um, so I think in a way he was glad that he went back uh, to Florida and left the Dodgers at that time in his life. So um, there wasn't the remorse of leaving that club, um, you know, like he had um, leaving the Mets um, and certainly the Orioles. And, yeah, I mean, Davey, I think, uh, especially when I had talked to him in 2010, uh, I think he had uh, had some of his own health issues. He, he was gone for a while. He was consulting for the Nationals. And now you fast forward, yeah, the 90s seems like the modern era, Eric, because I grew up watching baseball in the 90s. But it, compared to today, it's really not. It's kind of that in between the, you know, the old way of, of, of baseball that, you know, you mentioned the 70s and the Oregon that you watch maybe growing up in the, you know, the 70s, 80s. And, you know, I'm a 90s guy. Um, and then he starts managing the Nationals and Bryce Harper in this, you know, similar to the Mets in 84, an up-and-coming team that was just so bad for a while. And you would think after a decade, the fire would be gone. I explained the story about how I still saw it. Was he planning on getting back into the sauce here? Or was that something that, because he was a consultant and they were in a position they needed somebody, it was like, oh, let's give this a try? Because I would never have guessed, Davey, after all that time off, even after talking to him in 2010, seeing the fire, that a team would hire him much less that he would want to manage. Well, yeah. I mean, he never intended to return. I, I mean, he, he had an open mind, um, in those in-between years, uh, he had married, he had, he had managed, uh, the U S Olympic team. Um, um, he, I mean, he, he did a share of managing, uh, he managed in the world cup. So he still had his hand in it, but, but you make the comparison of that young Washington Nationals team with the team he had in 84 at the Mets. I mean, how much alike was the scenario of having Strasburg and Harper um, with Gooden and Strawberry? I mean, it was the same thing. <laughs> you know, the, the best young pitcher and the best young hitter in the game in both those scenarios. So now he has it again. Um, but no, he was getting ready to go on a, a long trip with his wife and uh, they were going to Alaska, I believe. And, um, and they put that on hold and he went back to manage. And um, it, it was such a similar situation to the 84 Mets, but he still had the fire. You know, he, um, uh, like I said, you know, he, um, he managed uh, a bunch of young teams in the interim between the Dodgers 
and uh, the Nationals. Uh, not a major league situation, um, but Olympics, World Cup, and uh, so he had his his hand in it. And you know, he still a day doesn't go by when Davey doesn't watch a game on TV. Uh, he loves the game, and you haven't truly watched a major league game until you've watched one with Davey Johnson. He just he sees things that um, the average fan or or average observer of the game just doesn't see. Um, he's a brilliant baseball guy. Um, so it was no surprise to me that, um, that, uh, he succeeded in Washington after all those years. Yeah. And then they had that. It's, I don't know if he wanted to leave. You can answer that. It's a weird team. They have good year, kind of down year. They lose to the Mets in 2015. Davey had, they were struggling under Davey in 2013. Then they got hot late and they just, they couldn't make up the, the ground. You wonder, they went to Matt Williams, you wonder if they had just kept Davey around. He might have had a chance, again, it's who knows, to, to do some different things with Davey because you saw how Dusty Baker was able to maybe connect a little better with that squad than, than Matt Williams. Um, you know, was, was it truncated in Davey's mind? You know, uh, it's interesting because it's like things were getting going and then it's over and now I guess that's it for him. I mean, I don't imagine I see Davey Johnson managing a ball club going forward. It was a huge mistake that the Nationals made. Um, Davey had them on the right track. Um, you know, he had a very high salary, and it could have been that the Nationals thought, well, we can win without him, which was an ongoing theme, you know, winning without him. So he builds these teams up and gets them on the cusp of the championship, and then these teams, for whatever reason, um, felt that they could win without him. And uh, Matt Williams came came a lot cheaper. Uh, Davey, uh, at the time, was around 70 years old. And it's you know like that old famous quote from Casey Stengel after he got fired after the 1960 World Series. He, he said, uh, you know, the biggest mistake that I made uh, was turning 70. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll never make right. the mistake of turning 70 again. That's what he said. Right. And so it was a very similar thing, I think, with Davey. Um, and, um, you know, and again, uh, it's, it's just um, there's some envy there, Davey getting the credit. And, uh, it, it just seemed to be something that went on and on and on throughout his managerial career. Um, but his his winning percentage. I mean, it was off. It was nearly 600. I mean, he, he probably should be in the hall of fame just based on his managing alone. I mean, if you look at his contemporaries that are in the hall of fame, uh, you know, I, I guess the best example would be Whitey Herzog. Um, you know, he consistently was, was more successful than Whitey, Whitey Herzog. And, you know, they both won, um, one world series and, uh, but for whatever reason, I I don't understand that at all because, you know, it wasn't like he didn't get along with the media. I mean, he was a media darling. Um, so I just don't think that he got the credit that he deserved for his body of work as a manager. And then you couple that with what he did as a player. Uh, you know, the all-time single-season home run record is for second baseman and being on four pennant-winning teams and two world championship teams as a player and bringing sabermetrics to the game and, um, and really ha- having a, a Gumpian career being in the same lineup when Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's home run record. And then two years later being in the same lineup when Sadahara O surpassed Babe, Babe Ruth's home run record. I mean, you could just go on and on. I mean, he, he has one of the most iconic baseball lives of anyone that's ever played the game. Uh, a couple of things before we wrap up. Um, the game changed a lot. Did Davey change as a manager as he became older? I mean, you think about when he started in 84 versus the game in 1990 versus the game in 1999 versus the game in 2012, 2013. That's a long – I mean, I guess maybe that would be the same if he managed from 1950 to 1970, but I don't know about that. I think that's a very transitional time in baseball when it has where the players, the money – the way the game is looked at and managed. It's interesting. Did he ever intimate to you whether he changed, whether it be personnel-wise and how he interacted or, you know, how he went about his business and, and managed the team? I don't think he changed one bit. 
Um, I don't. I don't think he felt like he needed to. Uh, now, has the game changed? Sure. I mean, the. Uh, I mean, you look at how closers are used today. You know, I think that's the biggest difference. Um, closers today maybe go one inning, maybe one hitter. Um, you know, but let's just say they go one inning. I mean, Davey comes from the time when, you know, you didn't worry about that. You know, I mean, if you had a closer and the game was on the line in the seventh inning or the eighth inning, you know, you brought in your closer. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't adhere to going with lefties and righties, but um, he wanted to instill confidence in his relief pitchers. Um, So he didn't use his relievers in a situation where, okay, well, I have a lefty and a righty coming up. So I'm going to use my lefty out of the bullpen against the lefty. Then I'm going to go to the bullpen no matter what and bring in the righty. He wasn't like that. He, he believed that if, if he worked that way, then it would take the confidence away from his relievers. He wanted to instill confidence in his pitchers. Um, so he wasn't going to use seven or eight pitchers in a game like they do today. Um, he, he was going to use... Um, a Doug Zisk or a Roger McDowell against other, you know, against left-handed hitters. Um, You know, he wasn't automatically going to be a push-button manager and make the pitching change, you know, to match up lefties and lefties and righties with righties. Um, uh, So I, you know, I get asked a lot, how would he do today? Um, I don't know if... um, if he would really like managing in today's game, uh, I mean, it would really have to be on his terms. It would almost have to be a situation like Francona has in Cleveland where they truly let Francona manage. Uh, but today, general managers are just so much more involved in not just personnel moves, but with what happens on the field. And uh, I don't think that would sit very well with Davey. Eric, uh, for you, what you went into this project, you've done a ton of projects with in baseball with different characters, different players. Did you walk away with one thing that you learned about Davey Johnson that you did not, I guess, expect or know? Maybe that's a loaded question, but what is that one thing you walked away after this project that you said, wow, that was really interesting? There's so many, I know, but is there one thing that stands out? Because this is a a multi-layered guy, really interesting uh, conversation and stuff, because no one's really dived into Davey before. No, no. And I think that's the reason why I wanted to take on the book project. Um, After I wrote Kings of Queens, I said to myself uh, that I didn't want to be a co-author anymore. I I just wanted to write books on my own. But Davey wrote the foreword for Kings of Queens, Life Beyond Baseball with the 86 Mets. And he loved the book. And and he said basically that I, I was the one, that I was the one that he wanted to do his memoir with. And, um, I, you know, he's one of those handful of guys that I would be like, yeah, love to co-author, um, a book with Davey Johnson, because there were so many questions that I had, um, you know, why, why he did jump from team to team as a manager, you know, why teams wouldn't covet having a mind like that in, in, in the dugout. Um, but the thing that surprised me the most um, wasn't so much a specific example, but more um, the kind of person that he is. Um, everyone thinks he's cocky and full of swagger and full of himself. That's really not the case. Um, on a personal level, he's actually, believe it or not, a pretty humble guy. Now, don't confuse being humble with uh, a lack of confidence. I mean, he has tremendous confidence in his ability and not just on the field, but off, you know, he's made much more money in real estate than he ever made in baseball. Um, But he's, I'll I'll give you a quick example. Actually, you know, we were sitting having lunch um, at um, a hotel in Queens uh, before he had to catch a flight. And um, a couple of the uh, chefs, like they came out and they asked to have their picture take, taken with Davey. And our, our server, a young woman, you know, she apologized. She said, I'm really sorry. Are you famous? And uh, Davey goes, well, you know, I had something to do with that 
team that plays across the street. <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, but this is the guy that's famous, Eric Sherman. He's a famous author. He, he completely <laughs> moved the attention, the spotlight away from him uh, onto me. You know, he, he just, he, he, and, you know, I mean, I'm not a famous author, but he, but he, but he just, um, you know, skewed the attention away from himself. And um, in the time, in, in the three years that I've known him, I, I mean, he does that consistently. He's, he's a pretty regular guy. And, um, you know, his goal throughout his whole career was pleasing the people that he worked for. And unfortunately, in, in a lot of cases, they just didn't appreciate what he was doing. Hey, so Eric, uh, Eric Sherman Baseball is the website. Uh, obviously, Mets fans, King of Queens, the Mookie Wilson book. Um, you've done a ton of th- things that they could see over at your website. You got an interesting project coming up. I don't know if you want to tease that, that you're working on that sure. is not Mets related, but connected. Um, before we, uh, as we wrap up here, give everybody a couple things. What, you know, what's going on with you, where they could find this book, yeah. things you want to promote. Um, this well, is an, a sure. fa- I really find the topic fascinating, David Johnson. I, I've always thought you know, someone should write a David Johnson book and when it happens, you know, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. Interesting, uh, interesting journey for sure. What, what else is going on? Let the listeners know what else is going on. Well, first, the Davy Johnson book, uh, you, you can pick it up wherever book, books are sold. Um, I know um, the publication date is um, May 15th, but I know that the, you know, the book is already out there and it's available. Um, my website is ericshermanbaseball.com. I'm actually um, working on two other projects right now. I, I just finished a manuscript with Art Shamsky. Um, uh, a book on the 69 Mets. Um, so that will come out uh, March 1st, 2019, which will coincide with the 50th anniversary of the Mets, uh, of the Miracle Mets cha- championship season. Um, we interviewed pretty much every living player, anyone that was involved in the 69 Mets organization at the time. I'm very excited about that. Uh, Simon and Schuster is the publisher. Um, and, uh, real quickly on that, we went, we traveled out to California with Jerry Kuzman, Ron Swoboda and Buddy Harrelson and paid a visit to Tom Seaver. Um, and, um, so, um, you know, the stories in this book are just priceless. Um, but I'm also working on a project now, which I'm working on the manuscript for, um, it's on the 86 Red Sox. So it's Kings of Queens only with the key and more intriguing members of the 86 Red Sox. Um, so, you know, your Roger Clemens, your Dwight Evans, your Wade Boggses, your oil can boys, and uh, even other guys like Steve Lyons. Um, so um, I'm very excited about that book because, uh, you know, um, King, Kings of Queens um, did really, really well uh, with those stories about, you know, those 86 Mets, but this 86 Red Sox, you know, the other side of that story and what they're doing today and some of the trials and tribulations that they've had. Uh, I'm very excited about that as well. And that'll probably come out uh, late next year. So I, I've had this stream of books of late. Um, So keeping myself very busy, Mike. Well, listen, you've been very generous on a weekend. I, I told you 20 minutes, and we're almost on 45.50, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go, but <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing more about your projects. I do enjoy your work, and uh, enjoy yourself. Enjoy watching baseball uh, this summer, and I'm sure we'll catch up, and uh, thank you again so much. All righty? Thanks so much for having me on the show. I would love to come back one day. You got it. Eric Sherman, Eric Sherman Baseball. Uh, on tw- on uh, Twitter at Sherman Baseball on Twitter, uh, interesting stuff. Like I said, you know, I, it's interesting. I was going to have him on for you know fifteen twenty minute hit on the book about David Johnson. We got into a whole conversation and what have you. Hey, let's take a quick break. When we return, uh, we'll wrap up. I'll talk to you about my uh, WLIE appearance. A uh, couple of quick thoughts, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll move on. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at our buddies over at Metsmerized. Online.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Let's wrap up with final thoughts right after this. Hey, Mets fans. 
I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back. Final thoughts. Uh, Very interesting uh, segment, I thought. But Eric Sherman went way longer than I expected. I usually have these guys on. I say, ah, give me 15, 20 minutes. I figured I'd do a nice little package show with a little feature. We'll talk about the Mets. The original plan was to record this after the final uh, game of the road trip. And then I found out that Rich was looking for a co-host for the next couple of weeks. So I said, all right, well, Mets are playing late. Let's do this feature, do a little uh, pre-final game of the road trip podcast. Then you guys could hear me on uh, 540 AM WLIE. Now, if you want to listen live, uh, it's WLIE540AM.com. I'll be on from 8.30 to 10 p.m. I'll be co-hosting with Rich Catino. Last time it was just me. Rich was on the road in Washington covering the Mets. I will be co-hosting with Rich. Uh, Dennis Waziak of the AP, who covers the Jets, will be joining us. We'll probably be talking some NFL draft, NBA playoffs, definitely get into the Mets, the Yankees, and, and, and do a little check-in here as we're about 25 games in or so at this point. So um, first, you know, we'll probably for next week to see what kind of segment I can do. But the, and the, every the month, you like to kind of do a check under the hood here and say, okay, where, where are these teams at? Where are the Mets at? So that's what I'll probably do. We'll do a little bit more extensive check-in next week. Mets will be home again, be in the midst of our homestand. So we'll, we'll do that. But uh, interesting stuff from Eric Sherman. And I'll leave everybody with this, I, I, and, and I said a little bit about this during the, the broadcast. 88, that Dodger loss was horrific. Uh, I think it really turned the whole Davey Johnson era where those final years, I wonder how things or how much patience they would have had if they had won uh, the championship, which beating Oakland wouldn't have been tough. You know, just because the Dodgers beat them up doesn't mean the Mets would have. Let's remember that. Uh, beating Oakland would certainly have been tough, but uh, it would have been an interesting series, and it would be one that, you know, to this day, I think everybody would have liked to have an opportunity to uh, to, to see replayed or, or have an opportunity to see what would have happened. Uh, but for Davey to say that he doesn't regret, and I understand where he's going with Doc Gooden in that series. I understand that it's Doc, uh, the, the numbers with Sosha, the lack of power that Sosha had, he's your ace. But if you look at the metrics, Doc already in 1988 was above, above league average pitcher, but he wasn't a dominant Ace like he was. He was treating Doc in 1988 in that game five, excuse me, game four, which would have put him up 3-1, as 85 Doc when he wasn't. And at that point, you were progressive enough where you saw what Oakland was doing with Dennis Eckersley. You bring in your closer, bing, bang, boom. That was Randy Myers, lights out, game over. Uh, and who knows, maybe, maybe Myers spits the bit. You don't know. But that was the move because – if you're going to tell me that you have all the faith in the world in Doc in Game 4, then you should have started him in Game 7, not Darling, who already showed you two years earlier in Game 7 against the Red Sox that that kind of pressure, that kind of spotlight wasn't for him. And then Doc comes in in the middle of that game, along with Aguilera, pitches pretty well, keeps them, you know, with the you know with 6 nothing they lost. They weren't, listen, you probably weren't going to score a run off of Harshizer. Anybody who went up against Harshizer that day, it had to be a similar game to game one of the series where the Mets had to come back in the ninth, a little blue pit by Gary Carter. It was a series where, against Hershiser, you had to match zeros. And Darling wasn't up to that task, not even close. And uh, so I disagree. I think that when you had them down, knowing that Hershiser was who he was, the fact that you beat him in game one and you really uh, you know, put them, the screws to them, uh, forget about the David Cohn, Bob Clappish ghost-written column and all that because David got clobbered uh, in game two and then wound up pitching very well uh, later in the series. 
they had to put the hammer down. They had to uh, do that, and I disagree. I think uh, Davey is, is sticking by his guns, and he's sticking with Doc, and he's he's doing what a good manager, I guess, should do, which is not waver in their decisions even 30-plus years later, but uh, bad move. That was definitely almost 40 years later. 40, 40 years, almost 30, 30, 40 years. 98, 2000, yeah, 30 years plus 30 years later. Uh, uh, it's been since the 1988 playoffs. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in. I hope you have a chance to check me out on uh, WLIE 540 AM, WLIE 540AM.com. I will also have it on this uh, iTunes feed, uh, RSS feed. You'll hear that. Later on, so if you don't want to tune in live, it'll be on this Talking Mets RSS feed, my uh, co-host segment of the New York Sports Wrap on WLAE with Rich Catino. want to thank Eric Sherman. You can check him out on Twitter, at Sherman Baseball. Eric Sherman Baseball's website, and the book is Davey Johnson, My Wild Ride in Baseball and Beyond. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Don't forget to check me out on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy the game, everybody. Take care. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.